In almost any country, most people could enjoy good health, even if the government doesn't have a big budget for health care. According to a new book called Good Health at Low Cost, there are important principles which need to be followed if you want to have effective health care delivery. I've been talking with the lead authors, Anne Mills, Dina Balabanova and Martin McKee, all from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And I began by asking Anne Mills about a vision held out 25 years ago that eventually led up to the book. What happened 25 years ago is that the Rockefeller... Uh, funded and and led a study that explored the experiences of a few countries that were really well known at the time for having had amazing health improvements at a time when they had pretty low incomes. So the four countries of the original case study, Kerala, India, China, Costa Rica and Sri Lanka. And this study became incredibly well known. I mean, it was when I entered the world of what is now called Global Health in 1979. Uh, That book came out in 1985, and it was one of the classic texts that we all read. And I think there's an assumption, is there not, in many circles, that if you have a country with good economics, plenty of money, then everything will be okay in the health system, but you found that that's not necessarily the case. Yes, and that was the very strong point made by the first study, that it wasn't just money, and that these countries weren't of very high income at the time, and yet they had some extraordinary health improvements. And so the focus of the study was to try and explain how was it that these four countries were so successful. Martin McKee, you've also been working on this. What what sort of ideas did did you come up with then? On the uh, new project, when we looked at the five additional countries, we again were looking at uh, countries that were now performing much better uh, at uh, and providing good health outcomes at relatively low cost. So we were looking at Ethiopia, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Bangladesh, uh, Tamil Nadu in India and Thailand. And um, there we found all had made significant achievements in some aspect of health, uh, but again, like the original countries, were spending relatively limited amounts uh, to achieve that. What were the reasons that it was possible to do well on limited funds? We identified a number of factors. Um, One was the presence of strong individuals who provided leadership, but those individuals needed to be supported by uh, institutions that had a degree of continuity, uh, institutions that could provide support for the implementation of change. The individuals and the institutions also really needed to be able to take advantage of events. In all of the countries there was some catalytic event that had enabled changes to take place, but there were individuals and institutions who were able to exploit that. So a certain amount of leadership was called for. Leadership comes across as very powerful in our study and in other work that has looked at uh, the performance of health systems. Politicians in particular who recognise the importance of health for the development of their countries and then can drive the agenda forward. And Dina Balabanova, you've been responsible for editing this new version of the book, the the actual book that's now released. What actually did you do and what, what happened? We benefited from the experience of our partners. We had a fantastic team which spanned two continents. And we, we were able to, to work with people who have extensive knowledge in the area of health systems. We, we have looked at a very long time period. We looked at, in some cases, 30, 20, 30 years. 
And some of the things that came out really differently from the original study was were that um, the importance of the health systems and the way health systems are becoming increasingly important in achieving access to services and good health outcomes. And uh, you had hard data because you got uh, case studies, you had interviews, uh, really comprehensive data, and also at the national, district, and, and local level. What sort of data did you get and how did you gather it? This was a very labor-intensive exercise over two years. Our partners did extensive mapping of all the available uh, data sources, surveys, quantitative data, trying to, to map and to link some certain health outcomes with characteristics and, and trends and reforms within the health system. However, in many cases, data were very limited. Therefore, our partners had to be very inventive. For example, some of our partners went and interviewed health officials in the health system who were employed maybe 10, 20 years ago, who actually were part of designing crucial reforms. So uh, we were amazed by the level of um, interesting approaches and analytical uh, methods that our partners employed. Now, you're nodding over there, Anne. Yes, I wanted to pick up the point of leadership because you said political leadership was very important. But it's very interesting in the countries that some had seen major periods of political instability, Kyrgyzstan, Thailand, Bangladesh, for example. And I think what was key, what one aspect that was key was that politicians were enthusiastic about health improvement. So even though there was political turmoil, it was a high political priority. But that would have been very little use without a solid infrastructure of technocrats who then could put programs into place. And I think in addition to political leadership, we also saw that in, in the countries that, for example, Tamil Nadu had at the district level a card of public health people who really were the backbone of improving health at the local level. One of the issues that came across very strongly was that of continuity and continuity of technical advice. So, for example, in Kyrgyzstan, there was a, a team that persisted through a series of revolutions, uh, consistently giving advice to the success of governments. The same in Thailand, uh, there was a, a group of very technically skilled individuals who were prov able to provide support over a long period of time, uh, despite political changes. I think that's a very powerful message for other countries. I just wanted to add that uh, all this um, priority given to health did not happen in a vacuum. A lot of these governments were generally very open to, to external uh, best evidence out there. The example of Kyrgyz government who implemented series of internationally evidence-based recognized technologies in, say, maternal and child health, and they were known as the place in Central Asia which is the most open to, to change and innovation. 25 years ago, uh, Sri Lanka, Kerala, Costa Rica and China came out as uh, uh, examples, not the only countries by any means doing very well at getting good health at low cost. Now it's changed. Uh, some good examples that you've used in the book are Bangladesh, Tamil Nadu, Kyrgyzstan, Thailand and Ethiopia. Can you, any of you describe about these countries? What, what are the actual factors within those countries that seem to be happening? Well, Ethiopia was a country where we saw strong political leadership. The country was in a dreadful state uh, at the end of the, uh, the uh, civil war, which have, and, and of course Ethiopia almost became symbolic of the tragedy of Africa with the uh, 
pictures of hunger, starvation, children dying coming onto our television screens. Yet the new government that came to power was committed to change that. And uh, both the the Prime Minister, the Health Minister, uh, had health at the centre of their development agenda. They realised that they needed to get health care out into the rural areas because uh, under the Empire uh, there had really been very little uh, input at all, very little, very few resources in the in the rural areas. So they engaged in a programme of building up a major health extension programme to get workers right out to every village. Thailand has come out as a shining example, hasn't it? Yes, and why? I mean, a lot of interesting questions. I mean, they had a government very committed to building up the health infrastructure in rural areas rather than concentrating it in hospitals. Uh, Like some of the other countries, they built up a cadre of highly skilled uh, public health specialists, initially trained abroad, now trained in Thailand, but uh, really very well embedded into the government structure and very influential. Dina? Of course, one of our countries is Bangladesh, and as we talk now and the media is writing about the Bangladesh miracle, um, we have a situation where a country has developed a highly unique and context-specific context approaches to, to improving maternal and child health, such as uh, although women deliver at home, still a large proportion deliver at home, uh, a lot of the access to emergency obstetric care has improved due to better road infrastructure. So they've adapted unique recipe for success. And I think there are a lot of uh, things that we can learn. Other countries, low-income countries, can learn from their approaches. Yes, and I think we should emphasize that one of the things that uh, was looked at in this study was not just what the health system contributed to health outcomes, but also what things outside the health system contributed. And general development, female literacy, uh, infrastructure like roads, it's very difficult to specifically quantify their influence, but it's very clear in the countries we looked at that these aspects were very important. What do you all consider to be the challenges? Could I perhaps start with you, Anne? Um, The challenges today in low- and middle-income countries especially, what are they? I think there are a number of challenges. I mean, clearly these countries have not, or most of the countries have not all overcome the infectious disease burden. They still have an unfinished agenda there. There is the non-communicable disease agenda as well. And also there are the issues to do with having an effective functioning efficient health system, how to provide financial protection, how to organise healthcare in a way that makes the most of limited resources. And the challenges as you see them, Martin? I see three main priorities. One is having sufficient number of appropriately trained health workers who can deliver the services to people wherever they need care. The second is access to essential medicines at an affordable cost. Because for many people, the drugs that we might buy uh, in Western countries are perhaps three or four times higher in many of these countries, despite the fact that we have impoverished populations. And the third element I see as being the knowledge that is required to bring all of this together. There's still a problem with uh, a lot of care being provided that is actually quite inappropriate in many low and middle income countries that's not doing people any good at all. Uh, Drugs that are not addressing their needs. So we need to bring the three together. Trained health workers access to essential medicines and the knowledge and skills to deliver that care in in an integrated way. And your view of the challenges as we see them at the moment, Dina? I agree that the main challenge, as Anne said, is providing a whole system approach to health system strengthening, not focusing on particular functions, but thinking about management as well as delivery of care and financing. Uh, One of the the particular challenges in relation to non-communicable diseases 
is ensuring continuity, continuity considering the increasing amount of information available to users, considerable amount of private providers functioning in isolation, so preventing poor outcomes would require coordination and people talking to each other, which currently may be quite difficult. But I think it's also very important not to forget the broader public health issues because we tend to talk a lot about access to care. But as countries like Thailand are realising, they have major issues of obesity, for example, heart disease, which require action on the broader determinants of, of health, including diet, exercise, healthy lifestyles and so on. And I think that's clearly one of the challenges that these countries are grappling with now. If you were to name one or two practical things that can be done, that should be recommended indeed, um, and trying to be as specific as you can, what would they be? Well, I'm going to be specific, but I think it's important to stress that, as the others have said, we really do need a holistic, uh, system-wide approach to all of this. So uh, you need to interpret my comments in that light. The specific measures that I would take would be the development of a skilled cadre of intermediately trained health workers who can deliver care and who are willing to live in remote areas. The difficulty, of course, is that we have uh, the uh, farmers, uh, agricultural workers living far away, and it's not necessarily where health workers want to live as well. I would also particularly focus on access to essential medicines. We could do far more uh, to enable people to get low-cost generic drugs in many parts of the world. And, Dina, your recommendations at this point? I would emphasize one single factor, which uh, is the achieving synergies between different public sectors. And this is an uh, uh, issue uh, at the moment which is widely debated. There is the WHO efforts and conferences. International, the international community is really interesting. How can this be achieved, not just being a slogan? Because we see the health systems cannot function in isolation from the rest. They need to work together with education sectors. They need to work together with microenterprise um, and really address the multiple determinants of health. And that's currently not clear how, but that's an area where there is a lot of potential. And if I could leave the last word to you, and because you're very much at the heart of trying to train people and trying to make things happen, what are your recommendations? I'm going to make a slightly different sort of recommendation because I think one of the real strengths of this study was its focus on health systems and other determinants of health. The world spends enormous sums of money on medical research, on new vaccines or drugs or diagnostics. Relative to that, it spends a tiny amount of money in trying to understand how things work in practice and on areas of research into health services and health systems. This study is one of the very few examples of a of a study that looked comparatively across a number of countries using a common analytical framework. And I would make a plea for there to be a lot more of these sorts of studies because if we don't improve our knowledge on how health systems function, then we will have all of these new medical technology discoveries, but we won't understand well enough how to get them to put into practice, how to finance the system that will deliver them, how to train the health workers and so on. So it's a call to spend some money on improving the evidence base for our action with regard to health systems. That was Anne Mills, Vice Director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, talking together with her about their book, Good Health at Low Cost, were Dina Balabanova, who specialises in health systems at the London School, and Martin McKee, Professor of European Public Health. For Audio News, I'm Peter Goodwin.